It has been uh, said that one of the problems with churches today and preachers today is that we're too busy answering questions that nobody's really asking. And uh, I want to start off tonight by just making sure that I uh, answer a question that people are asking, and it's, it's probably this. Is Heather going to be able to get through this message before this baby comes? <laughs> the answer is I don't know, but I certainly hope so. We'll find out in 30 minutes. She's actually got about six more weeks, so uh, hopefully, hopefully we can keep her in. Anyway, uh, so glad that you're with us this weekend. Um, we're continuing a series called Elements on the Fruit of the Spirit. And if you're here uh, for the first time, uh, maybe you're a guest with us, maybe you're new to faith or new to Christianity, new to church, uh, the fruit of the Spirit are found in, in a book of the Bible called Galatians. And uh, what they really are are just characteristics of, of those who are Christ followers or the characteristics that should be on display in our lives. But instead of me reading those verses to you, I actually want to let some of our kids at our Boston location share the verse with you. So we're going to join them on video right now. the Balson location, <laughs> Pastor Mike and Robin leading the charge there. Um, this thing has actually gone viral. As you heard, they're, they're, they're challenging Potomac Yard. And this thing started with Ella Schmidgall, who challenged Ellie, who challenged Gabe, who challenged Keaton, who challenged Sam, and on and on and on it went. And I just found out 10 minutes before I came over for the service that I'd been challenged by Summer Batterson. So I'm going to have to get on Facebook and do one of these videos. Anyway, if you've got your Bibles with you this weekend, turn over to Matthew 25 and Luke 6 and just put a little marker in there. I'll get there in, in a little bit. Um, but let's just first kind of, kind of back up and talk about um, goodness. We're about halfway through this fruit of the Spirit, and we're on goodness this weekend. And I know for many of us, we, we faced a goodness test from an early age. Um, I, I, the big one for me always came every year about December 1st as I stood in line in the mall waiting to talk to the guy in the big red suit and the big white beard. You know, I sat there in line or stood there in line and, and thought about all the things that I wanted to tell him that I wanted for Christmas, you know? I want a trip to Disney World. I want a puppy. I want games and books and toys and all this stuff. But as I sat on his lap, the, the dreaded goodness test came. Well, Heather, have you been good this year? See, I didn't, I didn't prepare for that question, and I, I should have. Like, I knew I needed to prepare an answer for that question because every time it came, I was, like, stumped. How do I answer the question, have you been good this year? Because I knew this guy had sneaky little elves spying on kids all over the world all the time. And, and even if I'd been able to get something past one of those elves, did Santa talk to Jesus? Because... I mean, what I was told by my Sunday school teachers is Jesus never sleeps and he sees everything. So did they communicate? Like, there's no way that I could have gotten, you know, the, the hit to my sister when nobody was looking. 
the, the disrespect to my parents, the complaining every time I was asked to clean my room. There was no way I could sneak that stuff by either of those guys. Have you been good this year? Well, how are we talking about goodness? How do we define that? Are you saying, was I good this year as compared to last year? Am I good compared to how good other kids are? Uh, Am I good compared to Jesus? Because that's no. Am I good compared to how good I can possibly be if I get all these in conduct, does that count as good? And so here's the answer I usually gave because I didn't really know what to say. I would usually answer something like this. You know, I could have been better, but I was a pretty good kid this year. I was good for the most part. And what I settled in my own self is the idea that because I had good intentions, because deep down I really was a good kid at heart, Because deep down, I really did feel bad about the things that I did wrong. I could answer, yeah, I'm a pretty good kid. Um, It it was just an inner virtue that I hoped would grow over time. It was this state of mind and state of being that I hoped that as I got older would improve more and more. Have you been good this year? Well, I think in order to talk about any of the fruit of the Spirit, but particularly this attribute of goodness, we've got to understand the context in which we read it. And so the fruit of the Spirit are in a book called Galatians in the New Testament of our Bibles. It was actually a letter that was written by a man named Paul. Now Paul, um, (laughs) Paul, if we learn anything from Paul's life, it's that good actions and good intentions um, are really no match for the grace of God. Paul was actually, he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus as he was on the way to kill followers of Jesus. I mean, this guy was going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, and God's grace still caught up to him. So it wasn't about Paul's goodness that caused him to find favor with God. It was God's grace that brought the favor of God into Paul's life. And so if if Paul's salvation was dependent upon him doing good things, he would have never made it. And so what happens in in this book or this letter that he writes to Galatia was actually to a group of churches in what's now modern-day Turkey. It it came about around the same time as Acts 15. And in Acts 15, there was this big debate that came up in the church. It was called the Jerusalem Council. Jesus had only been gone for a few years. Already the church is fighting. And, And the big debate is about this. What do you have to do in order to be a follower of Jesus? Are there certain good things that you have to do that are prerequisites to getting God's attention and approval and affection? And there were certain people that were saying you had to do certain things in order to be saved, in order to be a follower of Jesus, in order to get God's grace. And what Paul does is he, he writes back and he says, no, 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 you've, you've got it all backwards, We're not saved because of the good things we do. We're saved because of the good God that we follow. He says, no, it's not about about rules. It's about a relationship. It's not about following rules. It's about following a person. It's not about the good things that we're able to do. It's about the good thing that he's already done for us. 
And so he writes this entire book to demonstrate these themes that show up over and over again about um, freedom versus legalism, law versus grace, faith versus work, sonship versus slavery, the fruits of the spirit versus the desires of the flesh. This entire book that we see as the background to the fruit of the spirit is saying it's not about what you do for God, it's about what God has done for you. We don't do good things in order to get God's attention or his approval or his affection. But then at the end of the book, he starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And what he says is these aren't things that we do to win God's approval. These are things that we do because we've already experienced his approval. Because we've experienced his affection, we can love. Because we've experienced his approval, we have joy in all circumstances. And what's really cool about the fruit of the Spirit is that they are not just habits that we should form in our lives. They're blessings that we get to enjoy. They're not just behaviors for us to exhibit. They're blessings for us to experience it's not as though God is saying, hey, look, because you're on team Jesus, you need to love people when they're not lovable. It's also saying, because you've experienced my love, you get to live in the blessing of the experience of my love. It's not just go out and show joy despite all the bad stuff that's happening in the world. It's because you've experienced the grace and the goodness of God, you get to experience joy through every circumstance of life. They're not just habits. They're not just behaviors to exhibit. They're blessings to be experienced. And so the fruit of the Spirit is not a pathway to gaining God's favor. It's just the natural things that are produced when we have his favor. So what is goodness? Yeah, I, I feel like of the entire list of the fruit of the Spirit, goodness is like the generic one. Like, it's kind of the catch-all. Like, what exactly is goodness? Well, um, wh whenever you're studying things in Scripture, there, there are a few things that you can do to help learn more about, you know, whatever it is you're trying to learn about. And so one thing to do is to dig into the original language. Now, sometimes that's helpful, and sometimes it's not really helpful at all. The word just means <laughs> what it means. But in the case of goodness, I think we can dig in and get some perspective on what it means. So in the Old Testament, there's a word that's used. The New Testament, there's a Greek word that's used. And when you dig into the Hebrew and the Greek, you find that they mean roughly the same thing. They're used in the same ways, mean the same thing. And a Greek dictionary actually describes the word this way. It is more than kindness, gentleness, or a mellowing of character. It is character energized, expressing itself in benevolence and active goodness. Now, I love the phrases character energized and active goodness. And when you continue to dig into the original language, you find that there's kind of this kaleidoscopic view of goodness. One, the word goodness is used to describe things that fulfill their purposes, their intended purposes, they're functional. They do what they were designed to do. Secondly, the word goodness is used to describe the character of God and anything that reflects the character of God. And then thirdly, goodness is used to describe when a benefit has been given to another person. 
So things that are functional, things that reflect the character of God, things that bring benefit to the world around us. And another, another thing to do when you're looking at scripture and you're trying to figure out what something means is to look at a number of places, see how it's used throughout scripture. Like start at the beginning and kind of go through and see how that theme shows up, how it's interwoven, how it's used. And so we see this word good show up for the very first time in Genesis 1, in the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created and it was good. That word is used over half a dozen times just in that first chapter of Genesis. And it was declared good because it was functional. It fulfilled the purpose that God intended for it. We see this word goodness again in Genesis 50, 20, when Joseph looks at his brothers and says to them, hey, what you intended for evil, God used for good. It reminds me of the, the verse in the New Testament, Romans 8, 28, that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It's not that we believe that God is good because like there's no evil in the world. There's bad stuff that happens all the time. What makes God so incredibly good is he's able to take even the worst circumstances and bend them to accomplish his will in the long run. That's what makes God awesomely good. And so again, we see goodness is fulfilling the purposes of God. We find in Psalm 23, 6, his goodness and mercy will overwhelm us. God's benefits overtake us. In Galatians 6, 10, we're told, let us do good to everyone. Bring benefit to those that are around us. In Ephesians 2, 10, we were created to do good works prepared for us in advance. Good works are fulfilling the created, intended purposes of God in our lives. See, I think a lot of times when I think of goodness, I think of it as an inward virtue. I think of it as a state of being. But when we look at it biblically, we find that it's not a state of being so much as it's a state of doing. It's us working out the purposes of God. We might understand it as love in action. Goodness is intentionally and strategically pushing back the darkness in the world to allow the light of the goodness of God to shine in. And so there's two dimensions of goodness that I want to talk about this weekend. One is goodness in action. And the other is goodness in reaction. We read in Acts 10.38, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Notice it doesn't say Jesus went about being good. It says he went about doing good. See, Jesus is not just good because there's an absence of sin. He's good because of what he does. He redeems that which is lost. He liberates that that is in bondage. He restores to community those who are in exile. He healed the sick and he brought sight to the blind and he infused with strength the legs of the lame man. He called a Samaritan woman to be his evangelist. He welcomed the children and he called some really questionable characters to be his disciples. He went about doing good and pushing back the darkness in the world so that the goodness of God could be on display. He went about doing good. And when Jesus taught about goodness, it was very counterintuitive and countercultural. 
And one of the teachings that we see about goodness, and it's goodness in action, is in Matthew 25. See, I promised you we'd, we'd get there. We're, we're finally there. Matthew 25, verse 14. And Jesus taught about this in terms of a story. It says in verse 14, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <sighs> and this is when we're like, okay, Jesus is good. Yeah, like... <laughs> Does it sound like loving, forgiving Jesus? And, and I think the problem is that, you know, we read this story with our um, 21st century Western culture living in the land of democracy and capitalism and Shark Tank lenses. And we see this as a story about economics, but it's really not about economics. Um, so, so you've got a man, one given five talents, and, and he goes and he earns five more, and a man with two talents, and he earns two more, and the man with one talent, and he hid it. You see, I, I think sometimes when we read this story, we, we think that what the master is saying is, well done, good, and successful servant. But that's not what the master said. The master said, well done, good, and faithful servant. Now, success was in the equation for these first two men, but what the master is praising is not their success, but their obedience. Well done, good and faithful servant. These, the first two men were people that, 
They knew the master's heart. They knew the master's intentions and wishes and purposes and were willing to go into the marketplace and represent their master, to be associated with their master and do something with what they had been given. It's about faithfulness. It's about obedience. See, obedience is what allows us to experience miracles. Obedience is what allows us to participate in the kingdom of God and to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Obedience isn't the means of our salvation, but it is the means of our transformation. It's a reflection of our faithfulness to God. Do we really believe who he says he is and trust that when he gives something to us and asks us to do something with us, with it, that he's going to be with us in that. And, and I think it's interesting too that, that it says that the master returned after a long time. These first two men were willing to be obedient for a long time without seeing the results or hearing the praise of their good works. And sometimes to be good and faithful servants means we've got to have long obedience in the same direction even when we're not sure we will ever see the benefits on the other side of it. And then you've got this third servant who doesn't do anything. He claims to have good intentions. We can give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he did have good intentions. But the problem was he didn't do anything. We don't hear well thought, good and faithful servant. Well intended, good and faithful servant. Well, I kind of get where you were coming from, good and faithful servant. It's well done. What have we done with what God has entrusted to us? Now, see, what's interesting is I, I think what I want to encourage us with this weekend is what has God given you? I, I think we can look around us and, and see the world around us, and, and we can be completely overwhelmed by the need. In fact, if we look around long enough and see the evils in the world, we, we can experience compassion fatigue. We can even become paralyzed with compassion fatigue and we wonder, well, uh, there's nothing I can do to change anything. But the reality is God didn't ask us to change the world. He just asks us to steward well what he's entrusted to us. And so it says in this, this story that he gives each according to his ability. And, and each of us has different resources and relationships and passions and abilities. And instead of being overwhelmed by everything that's going on in the world, what if we just looked at those things, the things that God has given us, and say, God, how do I push back darkness in my little corner of the world with what you've entrusted to me? How can I be faithful with what you've given to me? How can I make one little investment that might make one little bit of difference? Because Jesus didn't call us to play it safe. He didn't call us to hold down the fort. He didn't call us to sit tight and ride out the storms. He called us not to play defense, but to play offense. See, following Jesus means doing what Jesus did, the way that Jesus did it. It means that we push back the darkness in the world with the little bit that he's entrusted to us, being good and faithful servants. And let the light of God shine into the world around us. It's goodness in action. It's not a state of 
being, it's a state of doing. But then Jesus continues to teach on this idea of goodness, and there's not just goodness in action, there's goodness in reaction. It's been said that it's often easier to act like a Christian than to react like a Christian. And we read some of Jesus' teaching about this in Luke 6. Luke 6, 27, it says this. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Love, do good, bless, pray. Jesus says this is the way that we react to the world around us. Jesus says to his followers, don't just put goodness into action, put goodness into reaction. This is counterintuitive. It's countercultural. He's saying, turn the other cheek. Give more than you were asked to give. Go further than what's expected. Pray for those who mean harm to you. A lot of the ancient philosophers taught principles that were kind of similar to this. And in fact, there were a lot of places in, in ancient writings around the same time as Jesus that extolled the virtues of goodness and extolled the virtues of love. And, and commanded um, or encouraged people to not repay evil with evil. But it's only on the lips of Jesus Christ where we find this idea to love the one who hates you. It's not just about a zero-sum game. It's like, no, love the one who hates you. Love your enemies. It's goodness in reaction there's a missions organization called Youth with a Mission, and the founder, Lauren Cunningham, says it this way, minister in the opposite spirit. Whatever gets hurled at you, come back in the opposite spirit. Love in the midst of hate. Be brokers of peace in a conflicted and fallen world. Give hope when all seems lost. Minister in the opposite spirit. To the one who wants to hurt you, pray for their comfort. To the one who wants to curse you, find a way to bless them. To the one who would speak evil of you, speak a word of praise of them. In the book Les Miserables, the author Victor Hugo gives us an amazing picture of this dimension of the gospel. The escaped convict Jean Valjean is given food and shelter in the home of a priest. No questions asked. It's just grace and mercy extended to him. And then in the middle of the night, he gets up and he steals all the silver in the, in the priest's house and runs off. Shortly thereafter, he's caught by the cops and they bring him back so that the priest can press charges. And the priest looks at this escaped convict to whom he's given everything, no questions asked, and he gently chides him for running away so early or for leaving so early. And then he goes and he finds two silver candlesticks and tells the man, you forgot that I gave these to you also. See, goodness 
covers and rescues and redeems and restores even those who mean harm to us. It's ministering in the opposite spirit. It's goodness in reaction. What does goodness in reaction look like in our current realities? What does it look like on Capitol Hill? Some of you need to pray for Republicans. Some of you need to love Democrats. We have small groups that are doing just that every single week together. What does it look like in our workplaces? Uh, my friend in, in NCC or Steph Hawkins is, is teaching in a school that's very difficult to teach in. A lot of kids that want to curse her on a, on a regular basis. A lot of kids that are hard to love, hard to teach. And yet she was telling me the other day that she's trying to find creative, intentional, strategic ways to love the kids that are the hardest to love. To teach well the kids that are the hardest to teach. In what sphere are you and how do you show goodness in reaction? And I really believe that, that the only way we're able to do this is by experiencing the goodness of Jesus. I mean, goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. It means this isn't something we have to try to generate on our own. We only find it. We only experience it. We only enjoy it. We're only able to exhibit it when we have first experienced the goodness of God. And if you're like me, sometimes you look around at the world that is around us and, and wonder, well, is God really good all the time? Because if God really is real, and he really is good, then how can this stuff be happening in the world? And then we're kind of left in this place where we don't really know how to experience or if we can experience or if we've ever experienced or will ever experience the goodness of God. And that tension, that question takes far more than one 30-minute message to unpack. And, and so what I want to leave you with today is just this, this idea that this, this one moment when Jesus' goodness was on full display for all of us, for all time, for all eternity. That Jesus' goodness is not best seen in a good teaching that he gave or a good thought that he had about us, but the good thing he did for us. His goodness in action towards us, or, or maybe more appropriately, his goodness in reaction. How did Jesus react to betrayal? By submission. How did he react to false accusations? Silence. How did he react to denial? Love. How did he react to sin and rebellion? Death on a cross. How did he react to those who put nails in his hands and his feet? Forgiveness. The goodness of God is most clearly on display on the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's where we've got to begin. And if you're here this weekend and, and you've never had that experience of God's goodness, you've never felt God's goodness, you've never been able to enjoy his goodness, I encourage you, don't leave whatever location you're at today without meeting Jesus right there at the cross. Because that's where his goodness is on display and his grace available for you today. And I don't believe that you're here by accident. I believe he wants to meet you there and he wants to shower you with his goodness and then you get to live in the reality of his love and his joy and his peace and all the other fruit of the spirit that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And if you're here this weekend and you want to take that step, I would encourage you, the, the next step after that is baptism. 
That's a way that you can kind of go forward and publicly declare your faith. And we're going to be celebrating baptisms on Easter weekend. I can't think of a better time to take that step. Or maybe you've been um, a part of, of NCC for a while, or you've been following Jesus for a while, but you've never gone forward with baptism. just want to encourage you to do that. You can email baptism at theaterchurch.com, and we'll get you everything you need to do, everything you need to, to know to, to be a part of that celebration. It's goodness in action. It's goodness in reaction. We don't do good things to earn God's favor. We do good things because we've experienced God's favor. And his favor is on display in our lives. It's a well done, good, and faithful servant. Father God, I pray that you would help us to do good. Not to be good, but to do good. That we would be involved in pushing back the darkness in the world so that your light and your love can be on full display around us. God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to act in goodness. God, that whatever you've entrusted to our hand, that you would even right now just point out across all of our locations the resources, the relationships, the abilities, the passions, the interest that you've given and that, God, that you would show us how you want us to invest those to bring light to the world. And God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the tenacity to react in goodness. God, it is not easy, and it's not something we can do on our own strength to love those who hate us, to do good to those who mean us harm, to bless those who would curse us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to go that extra mile, to turn the cheek, to give more than we're asked to give. Holy Spirit, help us. As we live in you and your life saturates every part of our lives, Pray that we would live in the reality of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. In Jesus' name, amen.